2: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Steve Grosso, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Amazon amazes the stock soaring to a new all-time high as Andy Jassy takes over as CEO. We're breaking down the record move straight ahead. Plus, China takes aim. Shares Aditi and other Chinese tech stocks plunging as Beijing turns up the heat. So if you're invested in these names... What should you do now? We'll break that all down. And later, we've got a fast pitch coming your way. A guest trader is taking the mound to throw out her best idea why she is calling this energy stock a stealth ESG play. We start off with a roller coaster ride for the markets. The S&P closing well off its lows of the day, but still snapping a seven-day winning streak. The Dow dropping more than 200 points, while the Nasdaq eked out a new record. The move comes as rates crater. The yield on the 10-year Treasury falling to the lowest level since late February So what are yields telling us about the market here? Dan, what do you think?
3: I think they're telling you that expectations got way too high uh, at some point in Q2. For the economy. For the economy, for the reopening, for the global reflation, the fact that it was going to be in some way kind of um, all happen at the same time, and then we're going to get to kind of pre-pandemic levels and start to think about valuations on a normalized basis post-pandemic. And, you know, listen, we've been talking about this, it feels like every night since late March. You know, the bond market sniffed it out. The bond market sniffed out that maybe the Fed is right, at least in the near term, about inflation, uh, maybe some of these pressures being transitory, and then maybe second half growth is not going to be as um, rip-roaring as uh, a lot of expectations do based on um, first half. I'll just make one last point. The last time, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, like you said, Mel, was at 1.35%. That was in late February. You know the S&P 500 was? 39.50. So at some point, you know the, the, the stock market really liked the idea of rates being able to go up, um, normalize to some degree. It may what, not like them if they go too low. And That's what all happens
1: if it Means that we entered into the pandemic in a deflationary environment. That's more negative and worrisome for the overall markets than any type of inflation spike that we saw, even if it was transitory, uh-huh. in my opinion.
2: So, you think that that's what the bond market is telling us?
1: I think now. the bond market's telling you that we're in a deflationary, remember what I called it? Deflationary spiral.
2: Uh huh.
1: Or oh, actually, you weren't here. It was Courtney here. Deflationary <laughs> death spiral is what I used, and I withdrew. The, the death from that term. But I think that we're in a real problem here because this is not in a sweet spot anymore. Stocks longer.
2: aren't paying attention to that message. If that is the message, stocks are not paying attention to it.
1: Yeah, I think stocks love the easy money and they love big tech fighting back. But if we break down to 1%, mm-hmm. I think everything is sold,
2: bar none. Right. But maybe, I mean to look on the bright side of things. We closed at record highs on Friday for all three major indices. And here we are. Barely changed, Guy. I mean, th- maybe this tells you that this is Goldilocks. This is just enough for the growth trade to stay on and maybe steep enough in terms of the yield curve for financials, even though we've seen th- those sell off recently.
4: You know, although I can't see you, I know you have that Cheshire cat grin because you knew by saying that, you would start to show off by, you know, just getting me all exercised. And you're correct. You, you succeeded in your, in your quest, so kudos to you. Goldilocks scenario, I mean, I'm hard-pressed to believe it, although the S&P 500 and clearly the NASDAQ are telling you that. Steve has been right on the deflation port. And kudos to Dan. I don't know what a kudo is, but Dan's been all over this for a <laughs> while now, saying yields would do a back-and-fill down to 125. And it certainly looks like we're on their way to those points what i'll say is this i think steve is right in terms of deflation you have it in terms of technology the biggest deflationary force in the history of mankind uh... but there is inflation in all the wrong places i don't know how that's reconciled because those prices that are going up i don't think they're going down nearly as fast as they went up and i don't think they're going to be as transitory as the market hopes they will be
2: the backdrop to all of this karen of course is the start of earnings season just a week or two away here so i mean are our companies Do they have incentive now to say everything's coming up roses in the back half of the year?
5: Well, I always think companies shouldn't give guidance, that it doesn't do them any good and it just focuses on the short term. But I think, you know, not everyone's on the same calendar year. So we've seen a few earnings recently, which I thought have been pretty good. You know, the data we've been getting is really noisy. So maybe this is the start of something. This number that we got today, this uh, uh, ISM services number, but maybe it isn't. And so I don't want to get sort of too worked up over it. The market really had this knee jerk reaction that it seemed to me to be somewhat overdone because we don't have enough data. And I don't know why this number was so low. Is it because you can't get enough people to be open in your restaurants as much as you, you know, as much as you can handle the capacity that 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 capacity is constrained now because you don't have enough labor. Is it labor prices? Not so you don't want to hire as much. I don't know. I feel like there's some noise there that really could sort of come out in the wash over a couple of months of data. So when I look at my portfolio today, I'm not going to change anything over it. I'm looking at, all right, what else can I buy? Clearly, if rates are much lower, that's not going to be great for banks. If the economy slows down, that's not going to be great for banks. But they're sort of getting more compelling. And, you know, I've been adding a little bit, but I'll add some more. So I'm not I don't feel like this is a wholesale change in where we are. I think that you could look at a Goldilocks if that were the way one wanted to look at something that, okay, this takes some pressure off the Fed. And look, step back a little bit and squint. We are nowhere, you know, this is not a disaster at all. This is a minor, minor, minor blip. Ten times this would be... You know, that's, that's a bigger blip. This yeah, is think, nothing.
3: I think, Karen, makes a lot of sense. I mean, the S&P 500 was down 20 bips. The uh, Nasdaq was up on the day yeah. and made it a new all-time high. I think you want to look at the Russell 2000. You want to look at small caps. They were down nearly 1.5% today. I think they have been unable to make a new high like the S&P 500. And the Nasdaq have seemingly been doing over the last couple of weeks. And I think a lot of the fears, one of the things that are weighing on rates is, is obviously the potential for second-half growth. And we're seeing it in some of those very heavily cyclical. We know there's a lot of financials um, also in the Russell 2000. So, you know, that has been in this range bound. It massively outperformed since we got the news on the vaccines back in November. And then it spent the better part of the last six months going sideways, unable to break out. So I think that's telling you a little something. And the last point, we know that they are the, the small caps are very domestically centric. Um, but that number, that factory order, you can talk about uh, services number here. That factory order in Germany today was not good, Okay, So the notion that we opened up first, that our economy is going to lead the global reflation trade, you got to look around. It brings me back to the post-financial crisis, where we had a rolling credit crisis. It took years for us to come out of it as a globe. And we might be seeing slower fits and starts around the
1: globe. So I think that's a great point. And and I haven't sold my value uh, bucket yet. And the reason why I haven't sold is what's the bipartisan group lift here? It's going to be bridges, tunnels, roads, 5G. No tax increases. That's the sweet spot for IWM. Okay. Because it's a real infrastructure. If you remember, the pushback from the Republicans was this was only 6% the real infrastructure so bridges holding
2: on to a trade on the hopes that some sort of bipartisan package will pass on not infra- not any not any hopes because all these
1: name all these names have basically doubled already so they're definitely off their highs as dan pointed to but i think we're going to get one last blip of that push when the economy really opens up and when we get an infrastructure bill Not not if, when. I think we're going to get one and it's going to be a bipartisan
2: one. We haven't talked about oil. Uh, You know, pre-market oil was challenging 80 bucks a barrel, um, a guy, and and that reversed during the day and and that may have given cover for for equities. What what do you make of that pressure coming off um, in terms of the impact on the consumer, but then also being a headwind to the energy, the winning energy trade?
4: Yeah, it's, it's a, I'm glad you brought that up, because obviously, you know, I've been bullish energy. Today was a very difficult day to sort of hold on to those things. What I'll tell you is, and we don't have it in front of us, unfortunately, although we will post it, there's a 13-year crude chart in terms of uh, Brent that shows you trending up to a trend line back from literally 13 years ago, this steep downtrend line. And kudos to a guy like Carterworth and Dan Nathan, again, to use the word, that pointed that out. I still think energy goes higher. I think today was trading up the line and failing. Biggest one-day move in the OVX, the oil volatility index, we've seen in quite some time. And a lot of these lever names took it on the chin. I think it's an opportunity, but it's a very hard thing to reconcile, given the fact that we did trade up to that level and fail.
2: In a world in which Dan Nathan lives, in Uh which 10-year yields go down below, what was it, 1.2%-ish guy, do oil stocks do well?
4: Yes. Yes, Melissa. Yes. Except.
2: Except. Except. Anne. So this
4: is where
3: a guy uses those terms. He doesn't know what kudos means, but he's used it twice now on the show. He uses this expression, which is brew, which none of us really know what it means. But you talk about this in a way, and I'm going to paraphrase for you. Rates going lower, dollar firm going higher, okay? And that's right. a situation where it is really hard to make out, because if you think back to post-financial crisis, when the Fed started coming, um, when they started tapering QE and then thinking about raising rates, the dollar shot straight up. The Dixie went from 80 to 100. And what happened over the next couple years. Crude oil got cut in half. It actually went down nearly 70 percent. So we're in a situation here where rates going lower, dollars staying firm. If the dollar were to continue to rise for any reason, I think that'd be very problematic for the uh, oil trade.
1: Yeah, You're going to get a, a reopening that is massive. You, you have the cruise lines. We talked about this. The airlines are all beating pre-pandemic bookings. By a large extent. So I, I know during we're talking peak of,
2: holiday travel week during peak, but even before so even before that, what happens.
1: So after that, we still have the reopening. Not everyone's back to work yet. Right. We're, we're an anomaly. It, truth be told, there's a lot of people that are still sitting home watching the show. Right. Thank, thank you.
2: Thank you <laughs> thank you out there for watching the <laughs> show. That's true, though. All right. Um, with today's drop, even the bulls are on correction watch. Our next guest is bracing for a major pullback, and he sees the Delta variant playing a big role. In it. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. It looks like maybe Julian himself is also at home um, but working. Julian, great to have you with us. Thank you. How, how big of an impact is Delta variant to your view of the market?
6: So I, I think if you think of it this way, Melissa, from our point of view, The market has shrugged off virtually all potential negatives. And here we are. Essentially, we all know that the last several days have had the highest degree of mobility, uh, certainly in the United States, since the pandemic began. Um, And what we've seen after spikes in mobility has tended to be uh, spikes in the the virus. So if you combine that with this idea that Japan is going to stage the Olympics uh, later this month, And what's really important is the potential reopening of the labor market in September when kids go back to school. And at the same time that supplemental uh, unemployment insurance runs out, you have a number of events that, in our view, the market is pricing very favorably and really doesn't account for any potential uh, upticks in the virus that could sort of upset the, the apple cart of the series of events that we're about to have in front of us.
2: We started the show with a question, Julian, and that is, what What does the 10-year yield lowest level since February or so tell you? Um, and couple this with, of course, markets sitting pretty much at record highs across the board. What do you think uh, the message is?
6: The, the messages are somewhat mixed. And, and actually, if you think about it, that is consistent with a market that, in our view, is likely to take a pause with, within the context of A market that looking at a year or two from now is likely to be substantially higher than where it is and so if you you go back to when yields topped at the end of march at around 175 what we saw was strong buying by international investors uh, into u.s fixed income essentially in our view because those are the type of people who really haven't seen the end of the virus crisis, uh, to the extent that we have. Obviously, vaccination has been very good uh, in the U.S. And what we've had was in the wake of the Fed's announcement uh, at at the last meeting, uh, the expectation that there might be a taper, which sent the yield curve flatter, sent 10-year yields lower, which obviously haven't recovered from there. The combination of that and Uh, The fact that, again, we do have a potential headwind uh, with regard to public health in in the coming weeks has caused pressure on yields. We would agree with uh, what uh, a number of of your panelists uh, have said, is that if yields start to drop uh, significantly lower than this 135 support level, that's likely to be a further negative for stocks.
1: So, Julian, you and I talked about that cyclical basket months ago. Where are you on the last wave or the last push for small caps or value stocks,
6: uh, per se? So we actually think, Steve, that, again, the the things that we're talking about are are near to medium-term headwinds that likely end up being resolved once we get through the fall um, and certainly looking into 2022. And if you think about it, is is that a bull market cycle, which we think began new a year ago, 15 months ago, and that could run as much as, if not more, than the average 154% gain of the bull markets of the last 100 years. To us, the leadership is likely to be reasserted in the value names, in the deep cyclicals, and in the small caps.
4: Julian, listen, I love your work, obviously, just to play devil's advocate. If the yields were to fall, my sense sense is it would continue to be a tailwind for some of these mega-cap tech names, which have basically been driving the broader market. So how do you wrap your head around a move lower with mega-cap tech potentially breaking out to the upside?
6: You can certainly make that argument, particularly if you look at the script from last year, because that's exactly what we saw, is that basically – um, regardless of how yields were fluctuating in, in the near term, uh, the, the, the reopening was delayed, uh, money flowed into uh, NASDAQ, FANG, etc. We think the, the narrative is somewhat different, because if you think about it, what you were seeing was earnings growth that was absolutely unprecedented, totally unprecedented, 30 40 50% um, in, in various stocks. That's behind us. And if we got some sort of uh, uh, further work from home type of situation, which, again, is not our base case. We're looking forward to being back in the office after Labor Day. Uh, That is not likely to be the kind of tailwind for these stocks, simply because even though they're secular earnings growers, the Mm -hmm. best earnings growth, the true huge surprises are in the rearview mirror.
2: Your top areas, Julian, healthcare, energy, and crypto exposed stocks. Crypto exposed stocks, there aren't too many out there. Can you enlighten us as to what you mean by this?
6: Just a handful, uh, there are several uh, publicly listed uh, uh, brokerages. Um, mm. Obviously, there's uh, a, a company or two who's uh, made very public uh, their own investment in terms of their treasury uh, in crypto. And And basically what it comes down to for us is we continue to believe, and if you think about the inflation narrative in particular, a story which we would agree is not finished at this point. If you think about that narrative, the reasons for owning crypto, diversifying the portfolio, whether it's uh, the crypto them itself or derivatives, meaning equities, is very, very compelling on a long-term basis. Uh, again, we were not sort of taken by the momentum into 64,000 several months ago. Uh, we also think similarly that the recent weakness is a buying opportunity. And we th- see this area as very attractive going forward.
2: Julian, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. By the way, a growing number of top strategists are getting um, are revealing what they think about the markets rally. You can read all about it at cnbccom slash pro. Karen Feinerman, your thoughts here on Julian's market take.
5: Well, I'm not sure what which scenario is more bullish, the ones where rates are lowered like one point two or three, then multiples will be higher or if the economy heats up a little in the Fed. to come back. I sort of, you know, need to think about tapering. I am more in the camp that that will happen, which uh, if it happens too quickly is bad for, you know, the high flyers, the Zooms of the world. But for me, you know, Fang, I feel like is a good place to be and Big Cap Pharma, good place to be also.
3: Yeah, I would just mention this. You just mentioned Zoom. I mean, think about it. I just looked at three names. And I was just talking to you about it before the show. Shopify, Zoom and CrowdStrike are all up basically 50 percent since their May lows. Right. And then what have we also seen? This is in this period where we've seen rates come off. And I think really the market kind of agreeing with at least the Fed's take on inflation near term. And then we've seen the F FMAGA complex just blast out. I mean, we're going to talk about Amazon. That breakout is one of the most epic breakouts on a dollar value you have ever seen in the market. That's just a fact. And then Apple got right near um, its prior all-time high. We know that Microsoft, Google, and Facebook have been making new highs every day for two weeks. So, I mean, that was the playbook um, in a low-rate environment, and it's, a, it's come back, I guess.
2: Coming up, the China tech racket Didi, Baba, JDL plunging today as China launches a regulatory crackdown. Some of our traders own some of these names, what they are doing next. But first, new developments in the biggest ransomware attack on record, the key cybersecurity stocks to watch in the aftermath. Don't go anywhere. That's when he's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're watching the cybersecurity stocks in the wake of the biggest ransomware attack on record. Let's get to Eamon Javers with the very latest. Eamon.
9: Melissa, here's how it became so big. The software management company at the center of this said... Only about 50 of its initial clients were directly impacted by the ransomware, but all of those clients have customers of their own, and those customers were then impacted as well. The total universe that we're looking at here, they say, is about 1,500 total businesses globally. 700 of those companies are here in the United States. The company describes them all as small and medium-sized businesses. Examples include dentist office, small accounting offices, and local restaurants. We heard from the White House today they are res- Reserving the right to respond, Melissa, here, saying they're going to finish up the attribution process. Uh, and if it is determined that this is the Russian government behind this, they say they will be prepared to respond. President Biden himself said he is still gathering detailed information. But so far, what he's seen suggests minimal damage to those American companies, Melissa.
2: All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers. Yeah. Um, Guy, you were pointing out the, the monster yes. moves across the sector today.
4: We lacking? talked about these for you know we've been talk, we've been talking about them for a while. I mean some of the names CrowdStrike is absolutely broken out. It's through that prior all time high. Zscaler is the name we've mentioned uh, pretty constantly over the last four or five months. That's up against their February highs, and so is Palo Alto Networks. So, look, I still think these names work. I will tell you though that in terms of Zscaler, right up against that two thirty level. Huge potential for a double top. I know Dan Nathan, who's probably sitting to your left, is looking at a chart right now and will back me up, as is Palo Alto Network's Uh CrowdStrike's broken out. I still love the names. It's probably a good idea to take a little money off the table in ZS and PANW, though.
2: You are right in terms of Dan sitting to my left which is not news to the viewer since they actually see it, but news to Guy, I guess, since Yeah, he I think he's right
3: to, to, to highlight that CrowdSite breakout. And, you know, Pan, maybe maybe Palo Alto and maybe Zscaler are on their way to do it. But can you have a sustained breakout, establish a new range after you've had a run from, in the case of Zscaler, from 160 to 225? Um, you know, probably not. You probably need to consolidate a little bit at those prior highs. Um, you know, valuations have not been a concern in these names. And we have these kind of hack after hack after hack. I remember five years Years ago, we talk about a target hacker, this hack, and these guys would have a one-day move. These have been sustained moves. I think they've, um, they've sustained these valuations for these names.
2: Well, it is, it is amazing that, that you know we sit here and we read about our evil, and this is right. the second time they've done a major. We've had so many attacks. This group in particular, a JBS, shut down our meat industry for days.
1: Wouldn't you think, though, to that point exactly, that all of these should be up dramatically? So CrowdStrike, I agree with. That, that one is, uh, has the best chart in the space. But FireEye, that's not an impressive chart. It's a lower high. Um, PANW up up uh, 8%, but lower high. It's actually up 10% for, for the year. But Zscaler, slightly lower high. So I get what Guy's saying, but I'm not convinced there either. You know what another one is? A sleeper, Sentinel One, IPO from last week. So I, I don't think people are exposed to it enough. That one looks like it has the potential to do something. But to your point, the entire space should be on fire, literally, and it's not. I don't understand why not.
2: All right. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
7: Pump the brakes. Shares of Didi heading in reverse as China continues its crackdown. Buckle up. We're digging into the details next. Plus... Someone's winding up for a fast pitch. We've got a guest who's ready to chart this next stock out. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
9: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Chinese ride-hailing app Didi, the stock falling 19.5% today to close well below its $14 IPO price from just last week. Let's get to Deidre Bosa with more on this drop. Deidre.
10: Well, what used to be a home court advantage, Melissa, that's now become a homegrown threat. And what Didi's crackdown tells investors is that Beijing's priorities have shifted. Control and national security now more important than even the success of its tech champions. That could have implications beyond Didi. Other U.S.-listed Chinese companies, they tumbled today after an already rough year. Even Alibaba, which has faced regulators and paid a nearly $3 billion fine, was under pressure in the session. So investors, they may be wondering if even Baba is in the clear. Meanwhile, Melissa, sources tell me that TikTok parent ByteDance, its IPO, could be delayed until 2022. And its valuation in the private market, which I'm told is just shy of $450 billion dollars, could take a haircut. This all raises an important question for investors, and that is how much transparency are they getting when it comes to Chinese companies? The journal reporting earlier today that Didi was warned as early as three months ago that it should consider delaying its IPO, but instead it pushed ahead, even speeding up its roadshow. Early investors that I spoke to were not aware of that warning, and they're asking questions now, Melissa.
2: I don't blame them. Deidre, thank you. Debo in San Francisco. Karen Feinerman, we had the same exact question. We had this conversation. If that is true, if the journal report is true and they were asked in some fashion to delay its IPO, should that have been disclosed to investors? And one asked, was that in the S-1? You did some digging.
5: Right. I did some digging. And, you know, you and I spoke about this uh, earlier today, they had a very broad number of risks, and if you look really hard, it seemed like this could sort of be covered under that, you know, that there are regulatory threats that, that could affect their business, that could prevent them from growing. I mean, it, it was sort of a grab bag of all kinds of really bad things that could happen. And so maybe that would cover them. But if I were an investor on the DDIPO, I would be pretty upset about this. I mean. We don't know the full context of the conversation, so we don't know if there was something beyond, well, maybe you should delay, because it doesn't seem to me that a suggestion to delay is a suggestion. It seems to be like it's, a, it's an edict. So I'm not quite sure that those two things, I'm not quite sure how that happened. I would be really upset if I were a DD shareholder because I would feel misled, even if that language gives them some cover. I would not be happy and it certainly casts a pale over any um, uh, future big chinese ipo um, right that you know you got to be really concerned all that having been said i own one it's not a big ipo it was a big ipo it's alibaba it goes down on any other big cap you know chinese news like this however i look at the valuations just the Alibaba business without any of their stakes and all these other things, without Didi, without uh, Ant, even though it's been emasculated. Uh, if that can happen to an ant, I don't really know. But they, <laughs> all those things are not included at all in the valuation, and it's under 20 times t- earnings when you back out the cash for a company that's just, you know, has an extraordinary presence. So I'm staying long. It has absolutely been painful, but. Um, <laughs> I feel like it should be at a discount. It's at a gigantic discount to where I think that it was like the line of the night, yeah. if you could de I that mean, she is on and, fire. And,
2: and. Um, but the question here, you could do it <laughs> the sum of the parts evaluation. I mean, I, I get that, but for a situation in which it's a regulatory overhang, and everybody thought that maybe the regulatory issues were somewhat settled or, or you know, put to rest with a $3 billion fine, and yet here we are down again for Alibaba uh... guy i don't know how how you wrap your head around that because there is this intangible out there still that is impacting the stock regardless of what the valuation is of the parts of the company
4: it's exactly right and if you look since halloween boo by the way i mean when it was three hundred nineteen dollars <laughs> alibaba's made a series of lower highs and lower lows and quite frankly to break that trend it's probably got to close above two thirty so I think if you're trading it, you'd rather buy the breakout above 230 or you're looking for a sub 200 print at some point. And in terms of emasculating an ant, you need a surgeon with really, really small (laughs) hands. Melissa, just the more, you know, type of stuff.
5: Very
2: small tools as well. Can you imagine? Um, Big options activity uh, in one of these names. Let's get to Mike Coe for that. Hey, Mike.
4: Yeah, Alibaba, which is actually a name that trades quite a lot of options in any case, but it traded over 400,000 contracts today. A large part of that was due to the fact that it traded more than two times its 20-day average put volume. And the most active puts were the ones that expire at the end of this week, 202.5 strike puts. Over 9,100 of those traded for about 56 cents. And buyers of those puts are obviously betting that Baba could potentially actually violate the May 13 low of about 206, I think, and possibly targeting that 200 level that Guy was just referencing by the end of this week. But of course, you'll notice that those options are not particularly expensive. I don't think that the options market is implying quite as much downside for Bob as some of these other names, possibly on the valuation that Karen was mentioning.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, this is the 100 year anniversary of the Communist Party. It seems like this is kind of coordinated. You know, they're kind of like flexing on capitalism a little bit. But these are like they're champions, as you say. And I suspect we're probably pretty close to a capitulation as far as how how far they're going to go to kind of, you know, I, I would say kneecap some of the some of the well, I mean, it's it, Unless you're, you're thinking like of the, the uh, well, no, 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 yeah. no. I
2: think you're making good points unless yeah. unless they're thinking of the long game. And the long game is to control the data yeah. of the country, because in the long run, this will get them ahead in the race in A.I.
1: What they're doing right now, though, is is definitely a tailwind to our markets, because there's money coming out of these names and going into the U.S. mega cap counterparts. And if we are close to that capitulatory moment, yeah. then it's going to be a negative for our markets. So yeah. Right now, it's a tailwind, and it could easily become a headwind.
3: Yeah, real quickly, though, you know, back in November when guys said the stock was above 300, you know what happened uh, in Alibaba then? Jack Ma, the founder, disappeared, disappeared. for a couple yeah. months. I mean, so so if these guys want to do that, they can do that. Um, I don't think they're going to use that play out of the playbook again, but we're probably pretty close to a bottom in some of these names.
2: All right. Um, Mike Coe, thank you for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, a prime pop. Shares of Amazon topping the tape, soaring to a new all-time high. We'll break down how our traders are playing this record move. But first, we've got a fast pitch coming your way. A guest trader is taking the mound to throw out her next best idea. Find out if you think this energy play is a home-run investment. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The energy trade getting slammed today, but our next guest says there is one name in the space that could light up your portfolio. Let's bring in Courtney Dominguez, senior wealth advisor at Payne Capital Management. Courtney, what are you pitching for us? Yeah. So what I want to talk about today is chart industries, which I
11: think is a really interesting opportunity right now because it's a great way to play the rebound that we've seen this year in the energy space, specifically in two ways. So first of all, it's actually a great way to play your traditional energy, which you know, there's still a lot of talk about your renewag- renewable energy sources. However, Your traditional energy sources are likely going to be really the play over the next couple of years. And they have that exposure in both natural gas and energy. But on the flip side, they also have renewable energy exposure. So you're getting both the new and the future energy sources by this stock. And specifically in their renewable sources, you have things like hydrogen and carbon capture, which is really intriguing because you're already seeing governments and private sectors increase their interest there. And even in carbon capture, you're seeing things like Exxon uh, showing a lot of interest there, which is already a customer of theirs. And interestingly enough, I do think that that's really gonna be where their future growth lies is in their renewable energy. And that's why they're expected to see earnings per share have really positive growth here about 44% this year, 33% next year, and 25% over the long run, which is very impressive. And on top of that, you wanna think of this as really a growth play as opposed to an income play. They don't pay a dividend. But they're actually really used, utilizing their cash, where last year, even with COVID, when your midstream sectors were down, they were still able to benefit and increase their uh, cash flow. And they were actually to take advantage and opportunistically take advantage of some acquisitions in the hydrogen space, which is putting their best foot forward as we, as we go into our recovery here. I think you're likely going to continue to see that in 2021 as they'll pay down debt and have more acquisitions. And I think for all those reasons, it's a really good opportunity to look at in the energy space right now.
1: So, Courtney, I like that the cryo tank is responsible for 35 percent of the sales. What makes me nervous and, and the question is, does it make you nervous that the top 10 clients are responsible for 40 percent of the revenue?
0: Uh,
11: potentially, but I think you, you want to look at this both short and long term, right? So, I mean, these are big players who in the energy space who are their top customers. Um, but right now you have some of their specialty products, which, again, is their renewable energy is only right now about 20 percent of their revenue. But that's expected to be as much as 50 percent of their revenue by 2025. So I think you're going to see this big shift where that will change over time.
2: And I think that's why you want to look at this as more of a long term play here. All right, Courtney, thank you. Uh, no more questions here. We're going to vote. Are you buying Courtney's pitch? On Chart Industries, Guy, what do you say? Uh, will you read that my smartboard for okay, me, me, please, if Melissa? Can. If
4: you could. Chart please. Industries is
2: greater than greater than sign Chart House hashtag C Dom Courtney Dominguez. Yes, yeah, C
4: Dom, of course, Courtney Dominguez. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you look at it, Barron's actually had a piece on these guys June 26. I'm with her on this. I don't know why you played the sad trombone. I think she's right. 25% EPS growth, reasonable valuation. Buy the end of earnings on July twenty second,
5: Karen, what do you say? Yeah, um, I like it. That's an industrial gas holder. In case it wasn't painfully <laughs> obvious what it was, I like this story. I think it's it's a little bit expensive, but I think you know I like the spaces that they're in, like industrials. I, I you know I, it's interesting to me and maybe a bite size for somebody for an acquisition. So I like it.
2: Mm, that looks like a milk jug, too. But, yeah. you know, uh, Dan.
3: Yeah, I'm a little gutless normally when it comes <laughs> to the energy trade, but I like Courtney's uh, trade idea. And wow. I look at that uh, valuation. I look at the growth. I look at what Karen just mentioned. That customer concentration that you talked about with a six uh, billion dollar enterprise value could make them an acquisition target, too. So to me, I like the call.
1: All right, Steve, round I'm, it out. I'm going to say it's a buy as well, and I do like the idea that if it starts to gain some attention from the investment community, there is a 10% short interest. I think someone else said that, so kudos to someone else who said that.
2: Bye. And kudos to Courtney, by the way. Um, clean sweep here. Courtney, great job. Courtney Dominguez. So the traders are buying the pitch. It is your turn, America, to cast your vote. Are you buying Courtney's pitch on Chart Industries? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll have the results later on in the show. Chairs of AMC. Dropping in today's session. The company pulling plans to issue 25 million more shares. We're breaking down the details next.
7: Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. The Sun Valley Conference is kicking off in Idaho, and we are getting ready. Already getting some news of major media deals. Julia Borson's live in Sun Valley with the very latest. Hi, Julia.
0: Well, Melissa, there's already been some big news in the streaming wars today, and I and all the CEOs just got here to Sun Valley. Universal Film Entertainment just announcing a new deal to put its films on Peacock just four months after they're in theaters. Now, this replaces a deal that that Universal had previously, putting films on HBO eight months after they hit theaters. And starting next year, Universal Pictures will develop and produce exclusive originals for Peacock as well. Now, Brian Roberts, CEO of Comcast and NBC Universal, CEO Jeff Jeff Shell just arrived just as their company announced this commitment to growing Peacock, which is, of course, that ad supported streaming. Platform. There are other streaming players in the spotlight here in Sun Valley. Viacom, CBS controlling shareholder Sherry Redstone, and Netflix co-CEOs Ted Sarandos and Reed Hastings arriving just recently. And I caught up with Discovery CEO David Zaslav. He said while he awaits approval of his company's merger with WarnerMedia, that he's not done deal making yet, and he is looking forward to talking to Comcast, Roberts, and NBC Universal's Jeff Shell. Take a listen.
1: We're just about great content, great talent, taking it around the world in every language. So I think that gives us an advantage. But I do think that there'll be more consolidation. We want to get this deal done. Um, But over time, I think that there's a lot of assets out there that have good IP that'll probably find homes.
0: In addition to mentioning that he was looking forward to talking to Roberts and Shell, he also said that he's going to be spending some time here with Warner Media chief Jason Kylar, whose role at the combined company has not yet been determined. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. We will have a great lineup of CEOs from here in Sun Valley, and that starts with Hans Vesper tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Melissa, we've got a lot of great stuff.
2: It was interesting to hear that Zaslav was looking forward to talking to Um, the CEOs of our parent company and our our parent unit, I guess if you'll call it that. Um, What could he have up his sleeve, Julia?
0: That would be kind of a lot. Well, look, it, it would be a lot. And, and Roberts and Shell both said explicitly that they don't think that they need to buy anything right now. They were asked this in at some investor conferences in May, and they said they didn't feel like there was any pressure to make acquisitions to get larger. But I think what Zaslav is talking about is down the road. Maybe there's an opportunity to combi- combine his companies with NBC Universal. I think that Zaslav likes to build, and it sounds like he's not done yet. Whether, uh, Shell and Roberts are interested in that, that's, you know, to be determined, but they have made it very clear. They don't think it's necessary um, to make any acquisitions right now, and the reality is, Melissa. Right now, the main thing is getting this deal approved. As Azoffi thinks, it could be says says it could be about eight months for that regulatory approval before we see the merger of Discovery and Warner Media. I've heard it could be even longer. We'll see how that pans out.
2: Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, Sun Valley, Idaho for us. Um, Guy Dami, what is clear is the pressure growing on all of these studio heads, all of these media companies to build out streaming. That that is where the emphasis, that is where the valuation is accorded in the stock market.
4: No question about it. And who's in the catbird seat? I mean, you just mentioned parent company, Comcast, I mean, continues to make new all-time highs, seemingly every day, reasonable valuation. Report at the end of the month. Now people are clamoring for NBC Sports. I mean, they really seem to, to be in this, I hate, I can't believe I'm saying it, but in the sweet spot of things. So, good for Comcast, and I think that's the name you want to continue to own.
2: Yeah, I mean, the streaming platform, Peacock, uh, is ad-supported, so slightly different from the others that depend on subscribers and that's what a lot of analysts like about Peacock and Comcast strategy in particular, Dan.
3: Yeah, and they also like that the Paramount Plus um, over the CBS Viacom, and I think that's the one that's probably on the block, $28 billion market cap, $42 billion enterprise value. I mean to me, they are building out uh, listen, here's the thing, when Julie was saying all those names of all those streaming things, my head is about to explode. I just want the shows, right? And that's what cable did for you before, right? And so these all got unbundled and everyone's spending billions and billions and billions on doing this. They're we're all going to get rebundled, people. So just cool your jets. Just keep searching for your stuff and, and find your shows. I mean, it's getting a little annoying. So I think it was Zaslov saying there's more media properties, more consolidation. It has to happen. It's going to be a consumer. It's not going to be something that's going to be particularly consumer friendly if it keeps going this way.
2: All right. Coming up, talk about a good start to the job. Shares of Amazon hitting a new all-time high as Andy Jassy takes over as CEO. So should you be adding this trade your cart. (laughs) And there's still time to vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Are you buying Courtney Dominguez's pitch on Chart Industries? We'll have the results soon. Don't move a muscle. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Amazon topping the tape today. The e-commerce giant soaring to a record high on the first day of trading under its new CEO. The company also getting a boost as the Pentagon canceled its $10 billion Jedi cloud contract with Microsoft. Uh, Steve, what would you make of this move?
1: So uh, it felt like, well, there were a number of reasons why you could say that money flowed in Amazon, right? Money was coming out of Chinese large cap uh, stocks, uh, the new CEO, and then also with this Jedi contract. It felt like somebody leaked this story Ahead of time, but this is a hundred percent tailwind. The Jedi contract for Amazon. It's a fifty percent headwind for Microsoft. I think they'll both be just fine when the smoke clears, though.
2: Yeah, Karen, you're taking a close look at Amazon.
5: Yes, I actually bought some Amazon today. I've been, you know, struggling with position size in it for a while, and I was just thinking, all right, you know, it's it was doing really well even when the market was down a lot today. And then it, you know, gained steam at the end of the day, I think, you know, the last half of the day on the Jedi news. I agree with Steve. It's not that big of a deal to either of them. I did see a story tonight that maybe they're going to split the contract. That's not that's sort of not really relevant. Um, I also don't think the new CEO is I don't is really going to change the trajectory. It's possible. But um, I just felt like, you know what, if I went home long, it's the same as buying it here. I don't have enough. Let's buy some here. How did you wrap your head around
2: the, you know, 60-something forward PE? What changed?
5: It it is a difficult one. I look at the free cash flow, and I look at the valuation of their free cash flow versus others. It is high. The, the, you know, the, the yield is low. The free cash flow multiple is high. But it's not insane. And when you compare it to some of the ones that I think are more insane, that's how I get comfortable with it. It's not the most comfortable I've ever been. But they deserve a premium multiple for sure. Well,
2: last call to vote in our Twitter poll. So go to Twitter right now. Do you think Chart Industries is a buy? Vote. We've got the results coming up next. Welcome back to Fast Time to find out if you at home were buying Courtney Dominguez's Fast Fish on Chart Industries. The traders all voted for it, but yet the Twitterverse wasn't thrilled. uh, 56% said no. Better luck next time, Courtney. Thanks. (laughs) Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen Feinerman.
5: Courtney, we're with you. Sorry about that. Don't let it get you down. Um, I'm going with Amazon. It was my trade today. It's my final trade now. Guy Adami.
4: I met a huge Melissa Lee fan this weekend. Judy Amario, six-decade New York Giant fan, bigger Melissa Lee fan. Judy.
1: Wow. Twitter, Mel. Twitter for you.
4: Twitter. (laughs) Steve
1: Grasso. Apple. I'm still long it. It's starting to react uh, affirmatively with price action. Apple pie.
3: Dan Nathan. Yeah, so Viacom. We got Sun Valley going on wow. here. I suspect we're going to have a lot of uh, heat about that this summer. Look at that base there. Four, 40 is your stop to the downside.
2: Thanks for watching. Fast Steve back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.